Hello, assalamualaikum everybody. Hope you're all safe, sound, and healthy, and I am back. Yes, yeah, so much for, you know, intermittent to rare. <laughs> I mean, I'm talking about my, uh, you know, uploading of podcast episodes. Um, I never expected that I would be so regular, not just regular, but end up having to do uh, multiple episodes in a day. But as we know, that is what is uh, needed at the moment because of all the stuff that's going on around us. And today, I think I'm going to once more talk a little bit about um, what's going on around the world and compare it to us. And I don't know, because I feel that there there is this very strange uh, coincidence that seems to be going on around the world at the same time. If anything, it proves the fact that the uh, masterminding of terrorist activities all over the world, political upheavals, uh, problems and wars are, you know, always initiated by the U.S. establishment and obviously the U.K. Uh, because as I said, you know, those people who are under the impression that the America, uh, the, the, the USA, the, um, that the American establishment uh, is free or that the, the the USA itself as a country is completely independent and you've got you've got another thing coming because the truth is that despite the efforts and the wars and the battles and uh, all the reforms to create an independent country that is no longer a colony of the UK America is actually far from independent if anything, um, because I'm going to use very simple terms, layman terms, so that everybody can understand. So I might sound a bit off here, but I'm, ho- I'm hoping everybody would actually get what I'm trying to say, at least, you know, uh, the gist of it. Basically, um, America is still under the UK. It's as if the UK uh, has literally given over the responsibility of its uh, former colonies to the American establishment to ensure that these countries uh, never regain power. These countries never go back to the days they were when they were, uh, you know, invaded. Because, again, I have to remind uh, everyone here, these countries that were invaded uh, they were invaded because they were the developed countries of their time. Uh, at that time, Europe was uh, steeped in the Dark Ages and ignorance. As you know, in, in Christianity, uh, according to the church, the forbidden fruit was knowledge. And in Islam, uh, knowledge is the pride of God when he made man. You know, when God made man and... Uh, Satan and the angels they were like what have you created this creature is going to do nothing but wreak havoc on earth you know and why would you create such a thing and God says you don't know what I know and then God tells them I'll show you just a little glimpse of what it is that this creature is capable of and then you know Adam um, reads out or should we not reads out more like recites uh, or talks about stuff that is unknown 
and the fact that the that his knowledge was tested and the ability to gain more knowledge was tested the fact that man had the ability to gain knowledge even when it's not currently present to discover to invent so that is what was god's pride when he created man as he said that i've created man uh you know to be one of the smartest uh creatures on earth so that is it so you know the church was against education because obviously uh it's it it has always been this way uh, in medieval times governments have always wanted to keep people under their control they have always believed that um a nation should not um have enough knowledge to challenge the government so this is why you know the church was uh, always bringing in religion uh, talking about how education uh, was a sin or that it was you know uh, that it wasn't something that was accepted in christianity although i highly doubt that i mean seriously so similarly now uh, contrary to that in the islamic world all those countries that were under uh the muslim empire uh for them education was a must because in islam education is an obligation it's a duty of every man and woman as the prophet said uh so it is the obligation of every man and woman to attain education and to attain knowledge and that is why uh you know the one of the first uh ayats also that were sent to the prophet when he received his prophecy was read you know read in the name of the god who created you from just a speck of dust and a sperm and molded you into a human being that you are today so you know the uh, when when uh the first prophecy that you get is read you know and then the prophet says i cannot read and then the angel says that i'll show you how to read so it shows how important gaining education and knowledge is in islam ignorance is in fact a sin in islam so the that is actually the the root uh cause of uh the development of all those countries that were under the islamic empire first education and enlightenment and second the muslim rulers had this thing about them which is undisputed is that they would take the resources of the countries that they ruled over and use those resources to develop those countries and that is why india was one of those countries that was so developed that it was known as the golden bird as we know and that is why people from the west were just dying to travel to india because they wanted a piece of that they wanted that kind of lifestyle they wanted that kind of luxury and uh, as always wherever the europeans went they actually just ended up wreaking havoc looting plundering um destroying many of the uh you could say many of the things that enabled those countries to be developed uh from infrastructure to certain unique um architectural aspects to institutions and especially the government so 
where the Muslim rulers enabled those countries that they ruled over so that those countries could function on their own, even without any outside rule. The British, the French, and the other Europeans, they destroyed those countries that they invaded, and they made sure that those countries could never become independent again. And as we know, as we have talked about this many times, and we've even, uh, anybody who knows their history would know, that one of the um, strategies that the British government uh, put into action was uh, because they had done that, they had done a similar thing with the, the USSR you know, at one point, was that they started planting traitors in the most strategic positions of the establishment of those countries that were once their colonies to ensure that those countries could never get back to their previous glory or those countries could never truly attain independence and they did something uh, of a similar kind to the u.s establishment believe it or not and that is why if the queen does not accept the u.s president that president can never go on as you know if the queen sets up a meeting with the u.s president this is a subtle message that yes she has accepted him as the president now if america is independent then why do they need acceptance from the queen well, now the queen is dead, so now it's the king. Now, just see what the king does to you people. But in any case, that's the point here that I'm trying to make, is that America is in no way 100% independent of the UK. It is still under the UK, and its job is to make sure that the other countries that were once under the UK do not flourish. And this is why every single country that was once a colony of the UK is now uh, in deep shit, basically. Uh, politically financially and because see the thing now now another thing is that the other countries are now so fed up of the u.s meddling as you know the u.s has tried to meddle with iran but iran is mashallah so strong um that they have never allowed uh the u.s to meddle although the u.s tried two fake revolutions in iran but they ended up getting their own people beheaded which they started crying about their journalists getting beheaded. Come on, we all know these U.S. journalists. They're they're not really journalists. They're all spies. We all know what they come to do because they've come to Pakistan many times to do it. You need to be very thankful that the Pakistani army is so sold out that they have very respectfully returned your people to you without even arresting them, uh, knowing that they're spies finding your journalists in sensitive zones where nobody's allowed in intelligence restricted areas where only the intelligence community uh, can move around or in army zones where only the army can be found uh, or can reside or or where there are certain there are always certain sensitive areas in every country where citizens civilians are not allowed and yet you will find the U.S. journalists over there. And as I said, you should be very thankful that the Pakistani army are, at least uh, at that point, at that, in those times, uh, half the Pakistani army was at your, disposable, at your disposal. The other half were patriots, but now they're all fucked anyway. Because obviously there is this hierarchy in the army, and if the top gun is uh, sold out, then the whole army has no choice but to follow orders. Although there has been there have been very very rare instances in history where the army would get so fed up of the of their 
Top Gun being such a son of a bitch that they would actually assassinate him. But let's see what happens here. But anyway, so the point is that you should be grateful that Pakistan has never mistreated the spies of America or even India, to be honest. Uh, and that in Pakistan, we have always returned people back to their homes respectfully, despite the fact that our civilians and citizens were fabricated as spies, both in India and the, and, uh, the United States, and that they have been tortured and our government is so spineless and sold out and it's so made up of traitors that they never ever worked for those people to be brought back if uh, everybody remembers the the incident i'll call it an incident of raymond davis who was exposed as a spy he was a, an ex cia now you can call him an ex cia agent but at that time he wasn't an ex and he went rampant killing people, innocent people, civilians here in Pakistan. And that was actually a very good time for us to uh, ask for the return of Afia Siddiqui, a frail woman who was doing her PhD in America, who spent years studying and they fabricated, they worked with Musharraf and fabricated cases against her, tortured her, and kidnapped her and her children and then they lied about it that they didn't have her and that they didn't even know about her and then it was Imran Khan that brought it to light he and another American journalist worked together to bring uh, it to light in front of the whole world in front of Pakistan um, as to what was being done now this is again another act of treason by the army so the army that keeps on telling us that it has not committed treason this is another act of treason where the army chief allows a foreign country to fabricate uh, charges against a civilian, a citizen who is a woman, a very young woman at that point, and that the army literally works with the CIA to kidnap that woman and her children. And although with great difficulty her children were found, uh, after decades, uh, the lady is half mad in jail in America and she is still not back. And the fact that her husband, who she was about to divorce, was it is rumored that he was working with the CIA and he slandered her in order to get out of some sort of a problem that he had or he was negotiating a deal or something. And the exchange was his wife who was about to divorce him but i mean what kind of a motherfucker would even you know uh do that to his own children but there we are if it's true so i mean that is another act of treason and again imran khan was the one who brought it to light he worked hard with both the pakistani and the international human rights organizations but nothing was done and that just shows you that just shows you how america thinks that it is above all laws i mean come on america has been wiretapping the un <laughs> that's against the law uh but and look at the un the united nations i mean how how weak and how useless are you that you can't even do anything about it as you know the american soldiers have been known to loot and plunder just like their their uh you know forefathers 
from Britain and France um, and Portugal, you know, so they they have been looting and plundering wherever they've gone. They've, in Iraq, in Egypt, uh, in Syria, in Afghanistan, and then they have been, uh, and even in Hawaii before, when Hawaii was friendly occupied by the U.S. Yeah, friendly occupation, my ass. But anyway, um, lots of complaints were made against the U.S. Army, not just for looting and plundering, but for rape and for child molestation. And uh, this NATO, who's supposed to be in charge of investigating certain, um, I mean, such things, um, never seems to ever find anything, or even if they do find everything, at the end of the day, you just don't know what's happened. You don't know if they've actually court-martialed those soldiers or not. And obviously, you have these uh, mercenaries moving around who are basically ex-CIA agents. And the CIA contracts jobs, uh, especially assassination jobs and terrorist activities around the world um, with these mercs. So you've got those. And then now the reason I have sort of, you know, summarized all these various points in history as well as in the present current situation is because what I'm trying to say is that now the countries are so fed up. They are so fed up because dignified nations do not like to be messed with. Um, that actually in Nigeria, a U.S. convoy has actually been attacked. <laughs> Trust Nigeria to, you know, just go out and do it when they're pissed off. You know, this is something that I really wish Pakistanis had in them, that they had that spine in them. Um, this is basically Nigeria's people sending a message. Obviously, politically, um, there is, you know, the... There is always the uh, deniability clause, <laughs> but uh, okay, if a fact is a fact, is that if a U.S. convoy is attacked in any country, that means that that country is sick and tired of the U.S. meddling in their country. And yes, I lived in Nigeria, and I lived in a golden period of Nigeria. That is when one naira was equal to one dollars. And Nigeria was a petroleum giant, okay, and, and technically it should still be a petroleum giant. I remember how the U.S. meddled so much with the with the Nigerian community that they always try to create a civil war. Yes, you see that pattern? They've done it in every country. In Muslim countries, they try to create a war between Sunni and Shia. But as I said, Pakistanis are too lazy. The, US, <laughs> the USA has tried its ass off for the past 30 years to create a rift between the Sunnis and the Shias of Pakistan. But I'm telling you, our people are so freaking lazy and they're so selfish and they just can't be bothered about anything and everything. They are, they are so narcissistically selfish that you cannot expect them to do anything, which is why, to be very honest, I was very, very pleasantly surprised uh, when the people suddenly decided to, you know, um, show the, the world that they were actually awake and active when they would always come out in drones and drones and hundreds and thousands and, you know, and uh, just to just on the call of uh, Imran Khan, when the whole country would just be flooded by people just before the elections and how the people came out without a leader when he was illegally ousted. I mean, this is something that you just don't expect from Pakistanis. They're so damned lazy and so selfish 
and never united. But, uh, and this is why, again, now it's weird that nobody's coming out, even though you know that people are simmering. They're simmering and they're pissed off and everybody's complaining and everybody's swearing at the illegal government and everybody's swearing at the U.S. and everybody's swearing at the U.K., and everybody is swearing at the army. Now, this is a first that people are actually swearing at the army so openly. And people are calling the army traitors. I thought I was the only one, but actually everybody around is calling the army traitors. They've been calling them traitors from the day they ousted uh, Imran Khan. And so um, it's uh, so maybe the people are just going to just burst like a volcano once again, uh, I'm hoping. But yeah, so yeah, in Nigeria, the message is sent to the Americans by just, you know, uh, attacking the convoy and kidnapping three of them. On the other side, we have got uh, Truss. Yeah, we've got Miss Truss here, who, uh, despite the fact that she was removed, if I remember, she is the one who very openly claimed to be a Zionist with so much pride, and which is one of the reasons she was tossed off. Uh, by the British people, um, but but I mean, if if it is her, then look at the audacity here that she's actually trying to advise the current Prime Minister of the UK that he should um, make sure that uh, China is dealt with, that China is going to bring. Uh, both financial and uh, economic and political threats, uh, uh, sorry, threats to the West. Oh yeah, like they actually came and told you in your sleep, right? Okay, here's the here's here's the thing, West. Don't mess with countries that have nothing to do with you. Okay, I mean you're such cowards. The Western world has always been such cowards. They have always had to sneak into countries even when they invaded them. Never did they ever invade a country in a dignified manner by calling out a war, announcing to the other country that they're there to invade. That was another thing. The Muslims, whenever they invaded a country, they would first send them a letter. Then they would actually tell them that we're going to, you know, we're going to war with you, you know, and they would give the other side ample time to prepare. But the British and the, and the Europeans... They are, that's why they're called thieves, you know, because they sneak into countries like thieves, they pretend to do trade, and then they infiltrate and they start, you know, um, basically corruption tactics. And that is why all the previous colonies of, uh, the, of, of Europe are now uh, steeped in corruption. That is how they work. So um, now, I mean, the Western world has tried to mess with China so many times. Um, China is too big to mess with. Uh, you need to be careful and you need to look back in your history because the fact that you, um, that the British are the ones responsible for bringing opium out into the open, for, for starting an, a trade of drugs, you know, which is obviously why you can understand why the the British intelligence community and the American intelligence agencies, they have always dealt in drugs even today um, because that is their main source of finance, uh, their source of revenue. How else would they work the way they do? How else would they go all over the world and meddle with other governments? They need money. And that kind of money can only come with drugs. And that is why the American government 
you know, has been after Afghanistan. It's not just the minerals and the rare mineral ores and stuff. No, 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 no. It's not just that. It's mainly the opium. Because you see, um, whenever the Taliban came into power, the original Taliban, we're not talking about the, the CIA Taliban that is here, the American touts. We're talking about the original Taliban. When they came into power, then um, as per law, they would burn down the poppy fields every year. Every year, whenever the poppy fields were, you know, they were whenever they were fully grown uh, and it was time, you know, they would burn them down. So now that is, is the main bread and butter for both the British and the American establishment. So why wouldn't they interrupt? Why wouldn't they suddenly start fabricating news against the Taliban? And why would they suddenly start, uh, you know, having a problem with the, the, the Taliban? It's simply because it had nothing really to do with anything. Um, they, they just wanted to save their source of income, opium. And before that, as you know, uh, when they couldn't attack China in history, uh, the Brits, uh, they used the king's son, if you remember, to kill his own father. And at that time, they had told him that they would you know, help him become king and that they, they had convinced him to... Uh, legalize the production and trade of opium which is what the king was actually against and the king was so strict about it that opium was never traded in China or out of China <clears throat> and because the Brits wanted an opium trade uh, just for that just for that they killed the Chinese king now you can imagine you can imagine uh, what kind of people they are um, and as you know, people don't change, nations don't change. Uh, so the West of the past is the, still the same. They're still stealing, they're still plundering, they're still dealing drugs, and they're still trying to meddle with other countries that do not see eye to eye with them or do not let them exploit those countries. So Iran is one of them, Turkey is another one, China is another one, Russia is another one. So the Western world has always, because as I said, remember education, education has, although they have borrowed the Islamic uh, welfare system, you know, if you, have, uh, this is something that obviously the public uh, is not very, I mean, knowledgeable because that's the point. The whole point of the Western politics is still to keep the public ignorant so that we can feed them what needs to be fed so that we can control them and exploit them. And that's what they still do, the, the Western world, the American government, the British government, other governments, they still do that. And that is because uh, in the Western world, um, they are they have borrowed the Islamic legal and social welfare system. Uh, as you know, if you ever... Um, if you work in the system, um, if you study to work in the system, be it legal, be it political, be it constitutional, the first thing that you have to learn in Europe is that we go by the Umayyad system. So the Umayyad system is Hazrat Umar's system. Hazrat Umar was the one who expanded the empire and he was the founder 
of modern day international, um, the modern day world, you can say. He was the founder of the, of, he's the one who created the intelligence networks, the army cantonments. He's the one who created the accountability bureaus within uh, the, uh, the government. He's the one who created the internal affairs department where they keep a, a check on, on ministers and on everybody and uh, anybody and everybody concerned to make sure that nobody is being corrupted, nobody is, you know, illegally uh, abusing authority. So every single, um, every single enactment uh, within the constitution of the Western world um, is from the Islamic system. Now in America, they kept it more simple. They called it the Muhammadan system. So America is following the Muhammadan system constitutionally and uh, and legally and uh, socially. And Europe calls it the Umayyad system. It's the same. Okay, uh, it is Hazrat Muhammad who started it all, and it is Hazrat Umar who um, finalized it all. Okay, so that is where we are today with the Western world. So now the Western world may have borrowed the system of Islam because as they went, that is the thing that they found out. That was the secret to the flourishing of those countries that they invaded. They found out that the reason why those countries were so developed and why they flourished was because of this Islamic system set in place. And so they took the system with them and that, that is why the Western world is flourishing because they are they have the same laws, the Islamic laws. Now, they talk against the Sharia and everything, but I mean, how stupid uh, are you that you're talking against the same system that you have implemented for uh, a long time now? And uh, <laughs> for, you know, uh, and at the same time, uh, as you could see, the, the minute Trump started uh, dis disassembling the Islamic system from within the constitution and from within the uh, social welfare schemes, America started suffering. So, you know, you can see um, the benefits of having the Islamic welfare and social system. And you can see what happens when you start removing all that from your society. And that is actually one of the biggest problems we Muslim countries have post-colonization. And that is that we were not allowed to get back to our Islamic system. So we have this weird hodgepodge of uh, our old cultural pagan system. And then we claim to have an Islamic system running parallel to that. And then we have the colonial system still going on. And every time, every time one of us, one of our, these Muslim countries try to retrieve that Islamic system, that is when the US medals, it's very strange, but that is exactly when the US medals and it starts its anti-Islamic rants. You have a problem with Islam. You're not a Muslim country. Remove it from your system. Why are you following the Muhammadan system? Why are you following the Sharia? Remove it. You're most welcome to do it because it's not even for you. It's for the Muslims. And why do you have a problem with the Muslims who want to implement it? That's what I want to know. So, yeah, that's why they, you know, attacked Iraq. That's why they attacked uh, Afghanistan. And obviously, it's always been a colossal failure. They failed very badly in Iraq, uh, especially when they were exposed. That, again, comes back to the point of ignorance in the public, trying to control the public. They lied to the public, saying that they that the Iraq had WMDs. 
they sent people to plant those WMDs, which backfired on them. And then when the real investigation started, after they had stolen whatever it is that they needed to steal from the president's house and from the museums and from the treasury of Iraq, then suddenly they announced, oh, you know, we were, uh, it was wrong. Uh, I'm sorry, but that's a pattern with you from Vietnam onwards. Everywhere you go, you wreak havoc, you steal, you destroy, and then you say, oh, sorry. What do you mean, oh, sorry? American public will end up apologizing to the whole world for the rest of their lives. That's what the American public will now have to do. They will be apologizing to the Muslims. They'll be apologizing to the Latin Americans. They'll be apologizing to the Africans. They'll be apologizing to Asians forever for whatever it is that their government keeps doing and they keep letting their government do, right? Um, so do you know the amount of countries that literally curse the American government, the American establishment, the country itself? And when Trump came into power, do you know how many people, for, even from India, from Pakistan, from Africa, from all parts of Asia, from even Latin America, do you know the number of people that have also the exact same thing? That finally America is getting what it deserves. Now Americans will know what it feels like when you put such an asshole on top of somebody. You know, finally America is getting its due. You know, finally the curse of the people of the world has reached God. These were the words that came out of people's mouths from all over the world. So you can imagine how much America has wreaked havoc as the dawn of the international mafia, um, how much it has destroyed. Even in Syria, even Syria, the only reason Syria was attacked and pushed into civil war was again because America had to oblige Israel. You know, and they and America obviously makes uh, money from war. One of the reasons why America is always pushing war whenever it is uh, diving into a crisis economic crisis is because America has earned the most from warmongering. Um, there are two things, um, destroying countries and then sending contractors to rebuild those countries. And this is how America earns its money, especially since um, drug trade alone is not enough. And, and drug trade is mainly for their intelligence communities. So for the rest of the establishment, uh, you know, an ongoing flow, uh, you know, it's uh, of, of revenue um, cannot be interrupted. And that is why they're always, uh, you know, they're always sending people out to commit terrorist activities, to destroy buildings, to destroy schools, especially schools and hospitals, because these are necessities in any society. So when you go and you destroy schools and hospitals, then you send your own people to rebuild. That's how it's done. So um, as I said, the countries are pissed off. So Nigeria has showed what how pissed off it is. Um, on the other hand, China is probably just sitting and laughing at, at the stupidity of the UK and the US. The US is actually in debt. You do realize that the US owes billions of dollars to China. And the fact that the country that the U.S. owes billions of dollars to is the same country that the U.S. is always trying to attack. It's just it's just beyond namakarami, you know, <laughs> seriously. 
okay um and then on the other side now uh, there, there's a there's a lot of similarities, you know, uh, with the kind of people that they pick. Uh, because now, if you look at uh, if you look at Nawashri's family background, you will realize it. Now, Nawashri's family, uh, they're not Kashmiris, okay. Although because of them, uh, now Kashmiris do have to uh, bear the heat of the Kashmiris in Pakistan because uh, the this family has married so much into the Kashmiri community that we end up calling them Kashmiris. But actually, the Nawashri family are not Kashmiris at all. They are Lohars. Lohars uh, were, were a caste that, uh, a low caste, that uh, dealt with, uh, you know, basically iron. Uh, so, now, uh, the Nawashri's family was basically a very, very, uh, very... Uh, it belonged to the very low uh, social economic, economic strata of the of the country, and what their family did was they would make gutter uh, lids, you know those covers, the lids that we put on gutters. So they would make those. So they made those, and so here's the here's the thing: they used to make them, and they used to sell them, and then they would send their own people to steal them. Yeah, they would go send people to steal those cutlets that they had already sold to people and then that would force the people to come back to them because those people didn't know that they were the ones behind it and then they would come back to them and then they would say okay we would make new ones for you for double the price and as you can see as i said you know uh, uh, your family background matters uh, this old adage is so true despite the fact that i used to hate it so much when they used to say never allow a person of a lower strata to take over a position in the government but it's so true i'm sorry to say because the the percentage of them committing corruption is 90 percent higher than that of a person who has come from a family that really doesn't need much because they've already had so much um, and so there is no hunger there you know which poverty breeds there's no greed there uh, although i do think that that is also wrong because we know many uh, rich families which uh, do have greed and they do have that hunger but again if you look at their background it's because they too originally belonged to the lower strata so the thing about people who rise up from poverty and immediately come into money one of the biggest problems is that their mentality is the same so um that, that inferiority complex, or should we say that fear of falling back into that desperate poverty is what keeps them hungry, and what it's what keeps them greedy, and it's what keeps them corrupt. Because that, that fear that we should not go back to that desperate time, you know, and that is what drives them and pushes them to do whatever they can to keep making money. And again, that is proof uh, when you look at all the members of the illegal uh, PDM government that we have right now. They all have such similar stories. Uh, Maulana Fazlur Rahman belongs to a family of traitors. These were, they, they were those people who opposed the making of Pakistan. And yet after Pakistan was made, suddenly they decided to benefit from it and they have benefited the most and in the most corrupt manner. For a person who claims to just be part of a religious group, 
uh, why the political affiliations, why the trips to America, why the secret meetings with the American establishment, number one. And number two, why and how did they accumulate all that wealth that his son has done no less than 12 umrahs recently, only recently, Nobody can afford that much. And every single time Maulana Fazl Rahman's son goes to Saudi for uh, Umrah, he always ends up buying another piece of property in the Middle East before coming back. Where's all that money coming from? You know, And it's usually in US dollars that they seem to get their money. So that's very suspicious. And then on the other side, you have Zardari again, who, who's very famous as Mr. 10%. His father was equally notorious for being... Uh, you know, uh, a person who would uh, basically commit fraud on something as small as a cinema ticket, movie ticket, in his time. And the fact that Zardari forced his way into the Bhutto family. And look look what his family background, uh, the mentality taught them. Because actually, okay, originally, Zardari's family background's originality was again the same, that they were very very poor they were so poor they, they moved around like nomads and when they finally settled in Sindh they actually settled as uh, servants of, of a family <clears throat> in which they would do all kinds of uh, jobs uh, mainly to do with cleaning cleaning bathrooms and, and stuff like that so that is his origin. So you see that that mentality again, that desperation of never going back, that is what has driven the Zardari family to this point, where if, if you remember Zardari once very clearly in his interview said um, that his dream was to be the richest man in the world. Well, he is actually right now, at least in Pakistan, he was until recently. I don't know if Nawashik uh, has managed to uh, once again uh, take on first position or not. I don't know. But that is how that is how it is at the moment. So Zardari forced his way into the Puto family, and one of the first things that he did because of his uh, his his inferiority complex and his insecurity was he ended up killing the whole family. The whole family is dead because of him. He killed his own wife. Everybody knows he killed his own wife. And very and th this is the thing. Very funnily, our lazy. Uh, law enforcement agencies that never seem to get anywhere, they never seem to reach anywhere on time, suddenly within hours, within hours of Bedezir's assassination, the whole road was washed, everything was cleared up. Within hours, it was as if nothing happened. These are people who don't even pick up the debris from an accident until a few days have passed. And yet, not even two hours after the assassination, the whole place is wiped clean. The roads are washed. There's not a speck to be seen. And Bilawal, who keeps on trying to exploit his grandfather's and his mother's name, biggest shame is on you. I mean, what kind of a motherfucker would work with the person who's killed your own mother? Seriously? I mean, I think the uh, his mother would be turning in her grave as to why would she even rely on her asshole of a son who is now, you know, linking arms with his father 
and use exploiting his mother's name in politics just to get sympathy votes. I mean, if you really are your mother's son, if you really are a Bhutto, you would have put your father in jail. You would have got him killed just for killing your mother. The whole world and his wife knows that Zadari got his wife killed. So we have that there. That shows that family background. And then Nawar Sharif and his family, as you can see, they are so brutal and so sadistic. I mean, Nawar Sharif is, is that kind of person. Um, they, t they talk about uh, law and order and about jail and prison. Nawar Sharif is that person who, when it was his turn, as you know, Zardari, uh, Bhutto and Nawar Sharif, they've been taking turns. The Bhutto family and Nawashi family, they've been taking turns for the past 30 years, you know, at, um, at, keep, uh, at keeping their positions in the government. Uh, every time they would rig the elections, as you know, and every single time, it, it, you know, so everybody would know, okay, okay now Bhutto has done his her turn, now it's Nawashi's turn. This is that same Nawashi that slandered Benazir Bhutto. This is the same Nawashi and Shabashi that slandered Jemima, Imran Khan's wife. These are the same people that uh, when they came back into power, uh, they put Zardari in jail and they tortured him. And they tortured him so badly that they actually even cut a bit of his tongue, which is why he can't, if you ever notice, he has a slightly impaired speech. And again, just look at the shamelessness of the corrupt crooks that they always get together whenever they have to work on any, you know, in corruption, we are united, basically. Although we all know that they can never be together because the enmity between them is is huge. They have a very long history of that. And now um, it's 45 minutes, which is very much longer than my regular 20 minutes or half an hour thing. So I'm going to break this episode into part one and part two. So... Uh, I'll end this part here and just tune in, just click part two and we'll continue our conversation. So right now, this is me taking a break. Bye-bye.